0: Welcome to Grain IQ. I'm your host, Chad Moyer. Grain marketing is a critical piece in keeping your operation profitable. And in Season 1 of Grain IQ, we covered the basics of grain marketing. Now we're back for Season 2 to dive deeper into the grain marketing concepts like technical versus fundamental training, puts and calls, and exploring how reports do or don't matter in your grain marketing plan. If you haven't listened to Season 1, we'd invite you to start there. Now today, we're learning about the futures market. Darren Fessler joins us. He is a senior hedge advisor with Lakefront Futures and Options, headquartered in Chicago. But Darren works out of Lincoln, Nebraska and thanks for sitting down and visiting with us here today. Uh, first of all, we're, we're going to have you talk about the futures, what they are, how they function, how do we get their value, and, and things like that. But, you know, kind of back up to big, broad concepts, big, broad ideas. Why is it important that farmers understand what the futures market is and, and how, it's, how it operates?
1: Yeah, I think that most producers, it's, it's very simple to focus on the cash market, the basis market, something that they're... That they normally sell into, but really, those the cash market in itself is a derivative to the futures market, or the futures market is a derivative to the cash market. There's can be a big difference between both the futures and the cash. Obviously, with supply issues and droughts and what have you, there's a big difference there. But uh, the biggest key thing I think from producers' perspective, understanding how the ins and outs of the futures market work, is one to better manage better manage that risk throughout the whole year based on what what you believe uh is you know physically out there in the field and really understanding how the futures market relates not from just risk management but how do traders that may not have ever planted a, a seed in the ground how they view it i get the perception a lot of the times from from a producer that say hey well, the traders—they're uh, just selling it to sell it. They don't understand the fundamentals behind it. They, you know, they—they they, they could care less about me as the farmer. Whereas, you know, one who trades with their own capital and rents out farm ground—I I see it from both perspectives. But it, it's understanding the who moves the market and how those market. Like, if I'm talking a, a commodity trading advisor or a managed fund, somebody who moves the market. They're trading a lot of futures positions, better understanding the why they're doing what they're doing. And some of that's related to the technical movements in a futures market will set your risk management at a whole nother level versus the one who says, I'm just going to solely focus on that cash market. I think you focus on all of it, but starting with futures is probably the number one key to to setting a hard hedge. When I mean hard hedge, you set that hedge, if you sell it at seven bucks, that's my that's my hedge. Mm-hmm. Everything in between is basis and, uh, and spreads at that point.
0: Is it safe to say that uh, the futures, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, where all of this happens at the CME Group, this is the common place that the world comes to try and figure out what the value of this crop is worth, right? So it's important that we look beyond the Western Corn Belt or the northern plains or something like that it's important to look beyond that because this is where this determination is happening right
1: absolutely as i've mentioned a lot your backyard is not the entire market and there's a lot of differences in say this year 2022 between the eastern corn belt and how things are progressing there versus the western corn belt that, at the end of the day, will show up, yes, in basis, but again, that has influence on the futures price. There is a perception at the moment that the crop is going to be pretty good in the eastern Corn Belt. That is adding, at the moment, pressure on the futures markets. And not only that, but what's going on around the world. So, But at the end of the day, it, it, the futures market is what's going to be determining a lot of other things within a within a market basis and options but it all gets derived starting with the futures.
0: So let's go ahead and and we'll do a few definitions to just get started so we all understand what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the futures here today. If if you had to give a definition for futures, how how do you define futures?
1: Futures is the price of any given commodity um, between a buyer and a seller. The futures is the key word about the whole thing. It is what does the market believe the future, say whether it's, you know 3 months down the road, 9 months, 6 months, 2 years down the road, they all have different contracts. And those contracts are based on what the market's perception is that commodity at the moment should be worth at that point in time.
0: And this takes place for uh, all the commodities. We we talk about grain on this podcast, but there's all sorts of commodities that utilize futures, right?
1: There is, you could think grains, you could think equities, that's your stock market indices, you could think Bonds you energies anything the the futures market's made up of tons and tons of commodities, whether it be actual commodities themselves or financial instruments um, but it is a it is how the actual equity markets during the day you think of central time stock market opens at eight thirty in the morning, but throughout that entire evening throughout the overnight session, that equity market was being derived by what those futures equities were doing. It was kind of giving the market a sense of, okay, how are we setting up for today's trade? And that futures market is, is one, open because, well, we're trading the world market. So when, when we're sleeping, China's open. When we're sleeping, Europe's open. And so we're trading those markets literally Monday through Friday, and we need those futures
0: markets open for that. A quick review of the players. Uh, who are the, the people that make the futures market happen? Uh, it would
1: be the exchanges. Uh, it would be the, you know, the, the Chicago Board of Trade, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Uh, now, granted, if you're talking corn, you're talking the Cbot, the Chicago Board of Trade. If you're talking cattle, you're talking the CME. Mm-hmm. All are owned by the CME, but they still have their designations on certain exchanges. So if you're talking cotton, for example, it's on the Ice Exchange. Ice Exchange is based in Atlanta, Georgia. They, those trade different commodities. Now, you won't trade cotton on the Board of Trade in Chicago. That's a market that's designated towards the Ice Exchange. Mm-hmm. Or if you think thinking the Paris market, it's the MATIF market, that those are going to be trading those European futures, European corn, European wheat, uh, which is something that coincides with the Chicago Board of Trade and in our
0: markets as well. And something that we've seen happen, and I think it's happened to all of the markets. It, it is a combination. It is people in the pits trading, and it is also computers that are executing these trades. They are they are the things that make it happen, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The majority of it now is all done by you know computers and algorithms doing it. Um, not a whole lot of pit trading anymore. I mean, you have some euro dollar options are still being traded, but um majority of the ag stuff is happening via computer but it it is the the big money players the big funds who at the end of the day are probably the biggest drivers of the market from a future standpoint obviously there's other drivers uh, at the end of the day that will determine your cash price but really at the end of the day it's the is is the big money the fund players you always hear about the funds what are the funds doing the funds refer to are they buyers or sellers of the futures products
0: When I'm looking at a commodity screen, and, and we'll take soybeans for example, I see a heading that says soybeans. And then below it, I see a, a bunch of contracts. But in, in those contracts, I see a bunch of letters and I see a bunch of numbers. So tell me, what, what do those letters mean?
1: Yeah, so when you're looking at a futures contract, let's say for X22, when I, when I post on Twitter, X22 soybeans, well, what does that mean? I know it's soybeans, but so what's the X22 mean? So every futures contract month will have a designated letter to it. X meaning that's the new crop November contract. So you could go F, which is January. you got February, which is G. You go March, which is H. And people are like, well, why don't they just do MMJ? Well, there's multiple months in the year that have that. So the January the, and June, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you have uh, you have those months, and just like just like corn, you have Z as in Zoro, Z twenty two, and it's Z is a designation for the December contract. Twenty two is the year, so it's always the contract month followed by the year. So Z twenty two corn is D twenty two corn. Same thing as his March twenty three corn. It's gonna be H as a symbol for March, year twenty three, and then corn.
0: And that and that's the same concept for all of the commodities that a farmer would deal with, right? Mainly Absolutely. corn, yep. soybeans and wheat, right? Yep. yep. Okay, so we know so the, the letter designates the month of yes. the contract. The two numbers behind it, that's the year that we're going for. So that gives us time frame. What about on the other end? I I see numbers that look like prices, but it's um you know, like in the in the movement, twenty two comma two and I'm seeing twos, fours, and sixes. What what uh, tell me about those those numbers. What do those numbers mean?
1: Yeah, so if you get a price it says like uh six forty two and a quarter. The futures prices works off in the grains. Let's say corn, beans, and wheat for a particular for this example work in quarter increments. So a quarter, they go quarter, half, three quarters, and then a full point. So that moves up. So if you're talking, you know, six forty two and a quarter is six forty two comma two, six forty two and a half, six forty two comma four, mm-hmm. and then it go comma six, and then you're moving up to six forty three. Uh, it's just a it's a way to distinguish you know quarter half, three quarters into your next point to determine what the price is. Because every every increment is a quarter determination of, of the next price, higher or lower.
0: Let's put that in, in relation, I guess. you know. So real world, what does a quarter point, a quarter penny move mean? You know. So if, if we're talking corn, and I think corn is traded in 5,000 bushel increments, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and, and is soybeans 5,000 <laughs> yes, as well? Yes, and, and wheat. And wheat as well. So that quarter point, what does that mean for the value of the contract? If you're trading one futures contract
1: of corn, for example, a quarter cent move is $12.50. So a one penny move is $50. So if you have a 10 cent move in corn on one contract, it's $500. Mm-hmm. So you can extrapolate that out. $1 is $5,000 on one 5,000 bushel contract of, of Chicago corn.
0: When the trade is operating and, and things are moving, does the trade have to move a quarter penny at a time? Like if, it, if, the, if the trade wants to move up, does it have to hit every notch on the way up? No. No, if you have a a large buy order or sell order, you can create
1: what's called a gap in the charts. And a, and a gap is just, uh, it, it is, is exactly what it is. It's a gap of where there's no price action uh, because of a large sell order or a, a buy order. And, and you could see those on Sunday night opens. So when we open at 7 p.m. Central Time on Sunday night, maybe we had a, a wetter forecast that came in or a drier forecast. Maybe we had a... A USDA report. USDA reports are always released at 11 a.m. Central Time, but leading up to that initial release to the market, it could be a bullish or bearish number. We don't necessarily know, but the first move could be a gap up, and there's no price action. We could go from six dollars to six twenty if it was really bullish, or six dollars to oh boy, that's a really bearish. Let's go down to six forty. We you could see that forty cent gap there now. In the futures markets, they typically like to fill those gaps. Traders do don't like to see gaps for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to last a little longer if you know if the fundamentals are bearish or bullish enough. But eventually, those gaps get filled. Um, that's one thing to think about. They don't always get filled, but they tend to get filled. So, but yes, you can have a gap in a chart where there's zero price action.
0: Let's talk about the how the futures function. So, okay, let's. Uh, the, so the the screen is telling me um, May corn is worth. Six dollars and twenty cents, how did that happen yeah
1: that's a, that's something that producers um, you know m- might struggle with a little bit is there's always a buyer there's always a seller and it, it it is a combination just of how it was in the pits when they were trading paper and it, there's so is somebody willing to buy this corn at six twenty is somebody willing to sell this at six twenty and it, it's one it goes off of volumes and prices uh, but it, again it 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 comes down to a buyer and seller it, it's just like if, if i have this classic car are you willing to buy it for 50000 no i'm not okay will you buy it for 47 no i'm not will i buy it for 45 okay i'll buy it at 45 it, it's a buyers and sellers is it's the best way to figure out what an actual uh product is worth the way i view it it, it it's an auction it's a pro, it's an auction process each and every day the market is open. We don't know whether it's going to be a, a bullish auction or a bearish auction. Um, but it, it, from a producer's perspective, it's you already know your position being a producer, long in the field. You hope you have a good crop. You hope the prices rise. But that, too, is at the best position to be in because so,
0: you already know your position. mm mm-hmm you can hedge against that position by utilizing futures. So the only difference with an auction, though, is, is like when the, when the item is, is done, it's sold, you, you think the auction is done. Well, they just go on to the next contract, yep. right? There's always yep. another contract that you're trying to find the value of. So that auction just keeps happening and happening all over and over and over again all day long, right?
1: All day long. There's an auction process until that final bell rings. And, and then it will start right back up when the bell rings again at the open. So it, it's, it's an auction process,
0: and, it, and it's the purest form of one. We, we kind of hit on it before, but let's maybe spend a little bit more time on the, the numbers themselves. Um, give us your, your best description. What do those numbers mean that I'm seeing on the chart? Uh,
1: well, for example, let's say you got corn at six forty. dollars uh, 40 To most people, that's $6.40. To to a trader in New York, that may not mean a whole lot necessarily. He may be solely focused on what the momentum of that futures price is. Six forty to him might be a cheap or really expensive price based on fundamental issues. And so that, in in a nutshell, that the price towards a farmer is his income. The price to a, a fund manager, I don't know necessarily the price matters all that much as it is does momentum. There's a, there's different types of traders. There's momentum traders, there's fundamental traders, there's algo traders, there's day traders, there's swing traders. I, I, most producers should not think of themselves as a trader. They need to first and foremost think of themselves as a producer who raises a crop for income, for sale to whatever ends that, that may be. Um, and so determining determining that, uh, where your position is as a producer, cannot be thought of in the same line of thinking as someone who's just sitting here speculating whether corn or beans or wheat goes higher or lower, they're doing it simply for income. They don't necessarily care which if it's higher or lower depending on their strategy, but a producer, they already know their position and it's a long
0: So that being said, can a farmer still take advantage of that? I mean, should should the farmer view that person as an adversary or a partner when they're trying to build their marketing plan?
1: Both. <laughs> you know, it, it depends. If the market believes, if there's a fundamental reason why the market should go lower, there's going to be that perception of, well, they're driving the price lowerness against my position. Well, it, it's the same thing can happen too, whether you get a dry forecast like we've seen so far this year where it's you know, the prices will always anticipate, you know, if we show dry maps here for 10, 14 days. The prices and the futures will anticipate, hey, we got maybe a little problem with the production. We got to get these prices higher. Well, in that case, the, the speculator is working in favor of the producer. But it's always a one-sided or a two-sided thing with the speculator versus the producer. The producer always wants the price to go higher. Mm. Uh, But again, the speculator is from a different mindset, different perspective. Uh, He doesn't necessarily grow that crop. Um, You could be a farmer and still be a speculator. Again, there's a difference between having grain that's sold and then speculating against that. Or if you don't have grain sold and then you're still going long the market... That's what we call a Texas hedge. And, you know, you're long both. You know, so there is that speculation among producers uh, and and speculators every day. But, uh, you know, from a risk management standpoint, we can offset some of that long position that's physical bushels in the field. We can offset that by, you know, what we call is selling the board or selling futures.
0: Boy, I think we could do a whole podcast on a Texas hedge. That sounds like a dangerous place to be. But it, that's not for, for here and now. Coming back to what you said about the, the farmer who speculates, even though you would be in the, in the market for a different reason if you're a speculator, even though you happen to farm, uh, it, it goes back to what you said before. It's your, it's your purpose of being in the market. It's, it's the reason you're active in the market, right?
1: Right, yeah. And, and my perspective of a majority of producers, they're always in the market. As long as they plan on farming, they're either going to be long in the bin, long in the field. Uh, they're, they're, they're always in the market. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not a day of the – even if you're a cattle producer, you're long in the market. Cotton, you're long in the market. Uh, you're always in the market. And Until the day you retire, you're, long, you're always going to be in the market. So it, it's just offsetting, one, the emotional tie to what you're growing or raising, and then what the other guy who doesn't do that – who completely speculates on his own for income, how do you offset that? And, and sometimes the speculator can really work in the producer's favor, and then that's the time where you, when, when people are greedy, especially if you know your position, that's the time when you want to be utilizing that for risk management.
0: Let's come back to a point now where uh, boots on the ground for the farmer – how do they become active in the futures market? If if they want to position and use futures as part of their risk management toolbox, how do they go about doing that? Two
1: different circumstances. You'll need a, a futures trading account that will need to be funded uh with either a line of credit or your your personal capital, however you want to fund it. There's many elevators, co-ops that will that they can utilize HTAs, which is the same thing as selling the board. You you sell the futures but you don't lock in the basis. I, you know, environments that are uh, really volatile. I, I love using utilizing HTAs. One because it doesn't put the producer capital on the line. It lets somebody else use their capital. They're going to charge you a little bit more for it. But it keeps that that headache of you putting margin money into your account to fund your hedge. I
0: guess kind of the take home message on that is a, a producer can't go directly to the Chicago Board of Trade and take a position. They're going to have to have a, a partner that they utilize, either somebody at the, the grain buying agency or uh, or a broker.
1: In most cases, traditionally, that's how it's going to be done unless you could become a board member of the Board of Trade, but you're going to be paying a lot of money to, to do that, to gain access like that. But mm-hmm. for the majority of people, it's, it's having a brokerage account and utilizing trades that way.
0: What does this all mean to the farmer? Why, why should a farmer think through some of these concepts, understand what the futures is and, and, and what the futures are, and ultimately use them in your mind?
1: I think the best way to, to think about futures from a, a risk management standpoint, especially from a farmer's perspective, is let's say you have a good looking crop out there, um, but you're just unsure if I want to price physical bushels you know, at the market. And maybe I want to see what the harvest does before I really go make some more physical sales. But boy, I really like this price. I know this is a good price. I know I can make money at this. Then you can utilize futures to go out there, sell the board. Let's say corn rallies at $750. I really like that. Maybe I'm enough sold on physical side. I don't want to sell any more physical. Maybe I get a hailstorm. storm. Maybe I get an early frost. You know, Whatever that situation may be, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to set a hedge. I'm going to sell it at $750. If it rallies, fine. I got physical bushels back in it. I hope, knock on wood, if it sells off, I'm still hedged at 750. The only thing I have to worry about after I set that hedge, whether it's on an HTA, whether it's on a futures hedge, is that basis moving in, in a big way and the physical crop. How, if I set the hedge, I have to worry about one basis to my physical delivery of that crop against my hedge. So th- those are the two things and really why. Producers must be utilizing hedging options or the the future side of things,
0: and it is futures can be used as your sole risk management plan. They can be layered together with other things, so you have kind of a suite working in your favor. It it, it can be all. It can be part of it, right?
1: Absolutely, you can you can have risk management that's very very flexible, uh, and, and everything's a little bit different. I mean, some operations like using options only. Some guys like using futures only. It comes down to what your risk management, and what your tolerance is. Because the thing about futures, there is margin involved. I mean, if you sell a contract, there's an X amount of dollars that you have to put up for that contract and maintain that. Uh, Whereas if you're long a 20-cent option, the most you can lose is 20 cents. Futures, unlimited risk, unlimited loss. Darren,
0: uh, how do we follow along with what you're doing?
1: I'm always on Twitter. I post a lot on every day. My handle is ddfalpha. They can call me directly at 312-858-3668. They can go to lakefrontfutures.com. I send out a subscription service to clients and subscribers of that. You don't have to be a brokerage client to get the subscription. Um, But, you know, if you want to utilize the options and strategies that I'm working, futures targets I'm working, that's always a great avenue to go towards also.
0: Darren, it's been great to have you in studio. Thanks for sitting down with us. Thank you so much. That was Darren Fessler. He's a senior hedge advisor with Lakefront Futures and Options headquartered in Chicago, but Darren works out of his Lincoln location. Thanks for joining us today on Grain IQ. I'm Chad Moyer.
1: Grain IQ is a production of the Nebraska Rural Radio Association with support from the Nebraska Soybean Board. It is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff. Grain IQ is hosted by Chad Moyer and produced by Rebel Siklocha. It is written and edited by Alex Wojcicki. Our project manager is Bryce Duskit. You can listen to Grain IQ on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or online at ruralradionetwork.com.